Today we're going to look at 27 and 28, the final two chapters of Acts. And uh, in the 1800s, uh, a sailor who was a Christian traveled this journey in order to check the accuracy of Luke's account here, because Luke gives us a lot of sailing terms and the direction of the wind and so forth, and it's uh, really a very accurate and astounding account. And uh, Luke was a doctor, not a sailor, so uh, he was really uh, a, a very precise historian. And, of course, we read back at the beginning of his gospel that he wanted to write those things down in order for the person to whom he was writing, Theophilus, to have a a faithful record of these things that Theophilus had heard. And he went back and did research and checked. And so Luke is a very reliable source. And we'll see that a bit today as we read through this. We won't have time to to deal with all the sailing terms. Some of you are sailors and you might uh, find that interesting. But we're going to look at uh, some other things as as well from from the text. But here now God's holy inspired word. And when it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in a ship of Adramidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon, and Julius treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. And putting out to sea from there, we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we had sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra and Lycia. There the centurion found a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Cnidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. Now when the south wind blew gently, supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed along Crete close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land, and when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and were driven along. Running under the lee of a small island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat, and after hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on Sirtis, they lowered the gear, and thus they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo, and on the third day they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, and no small tempest lay on us, All hope of our being saved was at last abandoned. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of of the God to whom I belong, 
and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men, for I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors suspected that they were nearing land, so they took a sounding and found twenty fathoms. A little further on they took a sounding again and found fifteen fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing. Therefore I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength, for not a hair is to perish from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they were all encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons in the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the, the ship, throwing out the wheat into the sea. Now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and let them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldiers' plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all, because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he was escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw, saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived at Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Pudioli. There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days, and so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the form of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. And when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. 
After three days he called together the local leaders of the Jews, and when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the custom of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty, because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. And they said to him, We have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are, for with regard to this sect we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great, greater numbers, From morning till evening he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, but others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand, and you will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turned, and I would heal them. Therefore let it be known to you that this salvation of God has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. He lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. May God... Bless his word to us this morning. All right, very quickly, I want to make three points about this long passage, this journey that Paul is on uh, with all these details. I want to talk about God's purpose, his path, and his plan. Three P's of these two chapters. Back in chapter 23, after Paul was taken into custody in Jerusalem, Uh, by the Romans at the accusations of his Jewish opponents, we are told that the Lord appeared to him and stood by him and said, Take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. It was God's purpose, and that's the first point. God's purpose for Paul was that he go to Rome and to witness there about the facts of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, about the kingdom that Christ was establishing in the world. Now, uh, the journey uh, that we read about in 27 and 28 has many hurdles and roadblocks and delays. The wind is against them. They encounter a hurricane. uh, They are shipwrecked. Paul is bitten by a poisonous snake. Uh, The list goes on. They find themselves at the mercy of strangers. Yet in spite of all this, Paul makes it to Rome. Are you surprised? No, we're not surprised. Because God said that he was going to testify in Rome. God's purpose, his plan, his will was that he would go to Rome and that purpose and will and plan of God is inevitable. It cannot be thwarted. Snakes can't thwart it. Hurricanes can't thwart it. God's purposes will be filled. Now if we think about that, that idea on a universal scale, and when I mean universe, I mean the whole universe that we're talking about, we often hear 
uh, that history repeats itself. And sometimes I guess it does. However, history is not an infinite circular uh, repetition. History has an endpoint as the history uh, of this earth as we know it. It's all leading to uh, an end. And God has a purpose, a plan, an end for history as we know it on this earth. And everything is moving towards that day. That day. God has a purpose and a plan for history. And every moment of every day, we are moving closer and closer to that final moment of life as we know it on this earth, as it is. And what is God doing? What is his plan and purpose? Well, he's going to establish, and he is in the process of establishing, an everlasting kingdom where sin and evil and death are no more. Where there, as we sang about it earlier in uh, This Is My Father's World. Uh, this is my Father's world. Oh, let me never forget that though the wrong seems off so strong, God is the ruler yet. This is my Father's world. The battle is not done Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be one. There will be no distinction between earth and heaven in that day. Christ will return. There will be a judgment. To some he will say, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and angels. And to some he will say, come, you are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And his kingdom will come into its fullness. It will be set up. The new heavens and new earth will be established. All of history is heading in that direction. Nothing can thwart that. No kingdom on earth. No power on earth. Not one person or deviant plan. The forces of evil. Death itself cannot stop that plan. Everything is heading in that direction, and it will come to fruition. The Apostle Paul was part of that plan. He was serving that purpose repeatedly. It says in here that he preached the kingdom of God. He was telling people about what's going to happen, that Christ has what he's accomplished and where it's trending towards. He's moving in that direction, and that's what Paul was proclaiming. Paul was jumping into and being called by God to be a part of this universal plan that God has for the world. This was his calling, and it fit in with God's ultimate purpose for the world. Now let's think about it back to an individual scale. We believe that God has a calling for everyone. Paul was special, yes, he was one of, you know, he was one of the apostles, and he wrote most of the New Testament. Now, you, are not, you and I are not going to do that. The New Testament's already been written, so we're, we're off that list. But God has a purpose and a plan for every one of his people. He has a calling for you, like he had a calling for Paul. He has a purpose for you. And calling is not something that is just restricted to clergy. You don't have to be a, a preacher or, or some kind of worker in the church in order to be called by God to do something. He calls all people. Everyone has a vocation. The word vocation means calling. The word, uh, the word vocation means calling. Most people have more than one. You, know, you might have a career that you are participating in, uh, but you also have callings. 
Uh, you might be called to be uh, a parent. And uh, the way that you get called to be a parent is you have children. Uh, you might be called to be a spouse. The way that you get called to be a spouse is you get married. And you have certain things that you're supposed to do to serve God's purposes within the marriage, within the family. You have uh, uh, other uh, avenues through which you can serve the Lord. You know, you may not be a, a doctor or a, a preacher or, uh, you know, whatever you are, it doesn't matter. God needs people in every walk of life to serve his purposes there. He needs people in Malawi. He needs people in Biloxi. He needs people everywhere to serve his purpose in the world, in every walk of life. Whether you're a white-collar professional or a blue-collar worker, you can be part of God's ultimate purpose. You can do your work, whatever it is, for the Lord. Now, everything you do can be done unto the Lord or for the Lord. Anything, any opportunity you have, any skill you have, uh, any gift, any influence, you can use that for God. And if you cannot use it for the Lord and His purposes, then you need to stop doing it because it's sinful. So everything we can do, we can, do can influence others, can bring glory to the Lord. Now I want you to think today about God's purpose for your life. How are you using your gifts and abilities and circumstances to further God's purposes in the world? We have young people here who are students. You know, how are you preparing yourself now as a student to use your gifts and develop those and to learn and grow in order to be used in God's kingdom? And not just to be used later, but to be used now where you are. See, we need to think about these things because it helps you focus your life to think about how am I working towards what God is doing in the world? How am I participating in what God is doing in the world? This purpose that cannot be thwarted. Because if we're not doing something that's serving that purpose, we're wasting our time. I like to play computer games sometimes, you know, on my phone and stuff. And I think, how much time am I wasting? That, that is not furthering God's kingdom. You know, there's a time for recreation and relaxation, and those things are good in moderation. But when you spend hours and hours playing games, it's a waste. It's not serving God's kingdom. So we have a purpose. What is God's purpose for your life? How are you using your gifts to plug into that ultimate purpose that God has in the world and what he's doing in the world? Well, that's God's purpose. God, God's path as well. We see here that even though Paul was connected to God's purposes for him and he was serving God's greater purposes and in this moment, he was going to testify in Rome and then even beyond that. Well, the route to Rome sure looked strange. You know, it wasn't a direct route. Uh, I'm guessing that the journey to Rome that Paul envisioned was one that was quite different than the one that he experienced. I don't think he could imagine all the things that he went through just trying to get from Caesarea to Rome. You know... He, he went through so much, so much different than probably what he planned. You know, when we think, okay, I'm going to drive over, you know, I went to Starkville this weekend. You know, we think, okay, I'm going to hop in the car and it takes about four hours and I'm just going to be smooth sailing all the way. And many times it is, but sometimes it's not. Sometimes you have car trouble and things like that. Thankfully, I didn't have it. But when we're talking about the journey of life, you know, we, we might be desiring and planning to 
use our gifts and our circumstances and abilities for God's purposes. But sometimes there's contrary winds. And sometimes there are shipwrecks. Sometimes there are problems. You know, uh, Barrett shared in Sunday school about in Malawi, everything is broken. And if it's not broken, it soon will be. And I thought that's just a perfect example. Uh, you know, he has to minister in the midst of just things not working well. And, uh, you know, it, it's not like you would plan it. And, but what we need to remember is that's all part of God's purpose as well. When you, if you think about Paul, uh, you know, God is going to get him to Rome, no doubt about it. And he might take him down to Malta. But he's doing all kinds of things on the ship, you know, as he stops in ports and meets with brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, as he goes to Malta and he ministers to the people there. He wasn't planning on going to Malta, but here he is sharing the gospel and healing people there. God will get you there in the end. We need to remember that as we plug into God's purposes for our lives and, and seek to use our gifts. Sometimes the path is not the one that we would envision. Sometimes there are some detours and storms, and sometimes, frankly, we make shipwreck of things. But God can still use us. In fact, in the midst of the chaos and shipwreck, sometimes he does some great things. Not only does he teach us things, but he, if we are uh, seeking to, wherever we are and whatever the circumstances to serve him, he will use that. Now, if Barrett and Brianne and, and their family waited until everything was just right to do ministry, well, it would never happen. And the same is true for us. If we wait for just the right circumstances, we'd never get there. In the midst of the problems of life, keep serving his purpose. You know, Paul didn't plan to be in Malta. He didn't plan to go to a lot of the places where he went. Uh, but he didn't sit on his hands and do nothing in the meantime. He reached out to people with the good news of Christ. Remember that shipwrecks can be used by God for you to learn and for you to stop and minister to those whom you encounter as you're stranded on the beach. Ministry often happens, well, usually happens, in the mayhem of life. Because let's face it, life is mayhem. If we wait for everything to be perfect, we'll never do anything. Well, finally, I want you to be encouraged on the journey and look at God's provisions. We see God has a purpose. Sometimes the path is uh, not like we planned it, but God's in control of that. But God has given us provisions for the journey. You see there... Uh, Paul has two things that really encourage him as he travels this journey. The first is God's word. We read there in uh, verse 22 uh, of, of the first chapter, 27, that the Lord appears to him. He tells the, the crew of the ship that the Lord has appeared to me, even though Paul has told them, look, I, I theorize, that's the Greek word that he says there, I, I think if we continue this journey, we're, we're all going to die. You know, Paul was uh, used to traveling around. He had been on many ships, and he'd traveled in, across the land as well on his missionary journey. So he was a seasoned traveler, and he knew some things about this. But he wasn't the expert that maybe the ship's captain uh, and some of the other sailors were. So he's given his advice, and he's theorized that this is not a wise thing to do, but they do it anyway. 
But the wonderful thing is that God appears to him, the Lord appears to him, and tells him that he will surely get to Rome. He encourages him with that truth and says that no one will die in the process. And he's able to share that encouragement with the ship. And so they're able to, after just you know, being frantic for their lives, not eating food, they stop and he, 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 by example, he takes some food and encourages the whole crew. Now, an angel may not appear to us and tell us God's will for our lives. You know, it would be great. If, it would be really uh, fantastic if that happened. But we actually have something better. Instead of waiting on angel visitations, we have a Bible that we have access to 24-7. We don't have to wait on an angel to show up. We've got God's Word right here that guides and directs us and tells us what God desires for our lives. The Bible is better than angel visitations. Paul knew God's Word. He got the angel visitations because it was being revealed to him. Uh, God's Word was being revealed to him so that he could write it down for us. But we've got access on our phones, in our Bibles, and we have multiple copies. We can always consult God's Word As we travel our journey, uh, as we encounter the storms of life, God's word gives us direction and help and encouragement. So that's the first thing that he encountered, the provision that he had on the journey to help him get through. But the second thing was Christian fellowship. Look at the encouragement Paul had on the journey that God provided for him. First of all, Luke and Aristarchus are allowed to travel with him. He is a prisoner and he is put on a prison ship to be shipped off to Rome in order to, to, be, uh, to be listened to by the authorities, the case to be listened to by the authorities there. But they allow him to have Luke and Aristarchus. They probably went along as his servants, and uh, uh, the consulate allowed him to have this privilege. So Luke and Aristarchus were along for the ride and were an encouragement to him. In 27.3, when they get to Sidon, it tells us that uh, the fellow that had custody of Paul treated Paul kindly and gave him leave to go to his friends and be cared for. So see, he went to other Christians in the midst of the journey of life. And he was encouraged by them. And then again, in, verse tw- in chapter 28, 14 and 15, uh, and even b- before that, brothers come to him. In verse 14, there we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came, you know, came from several places. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. I'll just say this to you today. If you're struggling in life, if you're struggling with the contrary winds that are blowing against you, don't isolate you, yourself from God's word or the the ministry of the body of Christ. Come together. Now I'm preaching to people who are in church on Sunday. Yay, you're here to be encouraged in your faith. Keep that up. You know, get involved with other believers, uh, not just in groups, but on a personal level. People who can encourage you along the way because you will encounter difficulties. Life is messy. But we can be plugged in to God's purposes and, and be part of what he's doing in the world even in spite of the difficulties. And we can make a difference, even in spite of the difficulties and the shipwrecks that we encounter. I want to encourage you that today and just think about how am I a part of God's purposes and plans for the world? You know, because of what Christ has done in dying for our sins, in cleansing us, in washing us, we are welcomed into God's family. And we can be a part of his family and his purpose in his kingdom. We can be citizens of that kingdom that he's building. 
and we can take part in building it up. What a great privilege it is to be a believer because you're part of what God is doing in the world. You're part of that history that is inevitable and is going to happen. Maybe we'll see it in our lifetime. Maybe we won't. But all that's done for the Lord, even dying to self, dying physically, tends toward his glory and the furtherance of his kingdom. Keep these things in mind as we live our lives and think about how can I point people to Christ and his kingdom. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this encouragement. And we thank you for the example of Paul and how he, how you changed his life, how he was, as he said, the chief of sinners, one of the worst. And you completely changed his life and you made a, 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 a great servant out of him. Lord, we pray that you would do the same for us. You may not call us to be missionaries. Some people here, yes, you have. Uh, you may call us to, to work at a shop in town. Some of us you've called to be mothers and fathers. Some of us you've called to be uh, lawyers and doctors. Some you've called to, to various and different things in, in life. Lord, we pray that we would use our gifts, our abilities, and our circumstances to further your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.